You are now listening to the Superhero Education Podcast, featuring Professor Eugene Pitchford and Dr. Steve Gurner. We are real educators tackling the real topics in education. Listen to be informed, inspired, and entertained. With no further ado, here are your hosts to the Superhero Educators Podcast. want to welcome everyone to another edition of the Superhero Education Podcast. We are Steve Gerner and I am Eugene and uh, we first of all we want to thank you for um, listening to our show last week. We like we really do appreciate the listeners, the feedback. Um, we got everything up and going now on Apple and Spotify and if there's another platform that you would like to put us like for us to put on um, our podcast just just definitely definitely let me know um, we're enjoying the feedback and it's a lot of fun it gives us a, a creative space and we wanted to we liked it so much we want to give you all another show today dr garner yeah i think what today we'll talk about is diversity training in schools and really think about do teachers need the diversity training? What do they need if you are on the side that they need the training? What impact will that be on students, on parents, on a community? And it really comes from a discussion Eugene and I had on uh, some local news, some news we're seeing around the country on protecting black hairstyles. So that's been in the news quite a bit as as local governments are deciding what to do, school districts are deciding what to do as they're hearing uh, horror stories as far as students and the natural hairstyles and what some districts are doing or preventing students from doing due to their hairstyle. Yeah, this topic is a, is a very personal one to both of us for, for a number of reasons. Like number one, in our book, Superhero Educator, that's in stores now on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, um, chapter 8, we kind of start the conversation a little bit, but also in the consulting world, Dr. Gurner and myself were often asked to present on this topic in some shape, form, like you name it, like we get asked this question. And it's really interesting, like watching people's reactions to the content that we deliver because some places are ready. It will soak up every single word. And then there are other places, they're sitting there the way you're sitting right now with your hands folded. I don't need to be here. Um, our curriculum or tradition is so strong that we can bypass this piece and have a successful school. So that's why this topic is important to us along with just it keeps popping up. Like in a perfect world, we would do this and move on to another topic, but we keep getting pull back into this one over and over and over. So Dr. Garner was like, Steve was like, let's put into a podcast form and just talk, share, and um, think out loud. So that's what our um, process is for today. So man, let's let's go right into it. So do, do schools, all schools need diversity training for their teachers? Absolutely. We can end the show right there. Absolutely. And and keep going with that. So why? The person the other side says, You gotta be kidding me. I got all these other things to do. Uh, standardized tests, state testing, homework, uh, homework, classroom management, classroom management, after school meetings. 
reading curriculum, math strategies, all these things, and you want to add another thing in, explain why all schools should have diversity training. Okay, so for me, it's, it's as simple as this. It opens the door for you to do great teaching. It doesn't give you the X's and O's of teaching. Well, it kind of does in, this, in some sense, but, but it opens the door for good teaching, meaning if, if I'm culturally relevant, I'm bringing culturally relevant uh, parts to the classroom. I am acknowledging your whole self, not just you are a number or a student. I'm acknowledging your whole self. I believe I could teach you better. Like, and that's just, I will live with that. I will die with it. Um, and it's always worked for me of just knowing the student, being culturally relevant, not being afraid to make the cultural mistakes so I can get it right and won't make it again the next time. Um, but to me, just to give you a picture, it opens the door to good teaching. Now, the, the argument against it would be, well, I'm a good geometry teacher and I don't need to do that because the obtuse angle is an obtuse angle, obtuse angle. But doggone it, relate that obtuse angle to their world. And then the yeah. engagement skyrockets. And then you can take the concepts even, even, even further. So that's my first answer. It just, it just opens the door um, for good teaching, and and then and two, from a student standpoint, you want to be your whole self. Like think of how many people aren't their whole selves, whether it's on your local job right now, at a university, at a middle school, at a high school, at your church. Can you be yourself? So those are my two reasons starting off. I like I like the example of the geometry because I think that's that's the argument right there. That's I haven't I teach geometry. I don't need that. Uh, but you, you brought up correctly, you need to infuse the culture of your students into the content area. You're going to have better motivation, more engaged students, the love of learning will, will be fostered. So those are all reasons I think are, are necessary. And you also send out a message to parents that you care versus just, yeah. being, uh, just being a teacher. And, and, and people, get please, I hope this doesn't come off the wrong way. We're assuming everybody out here is an is a, is a outstanding teacher, but this is what the superhero educators do. Like, this is what the best of the best do. They are masters of learning cultures other than themselves. So let's, let's talk about engaging parents. How, how does it engage parents if teachers have this diversity training and they're well aware and they're more knowledgeable in, and dedicated to diversity? How does that engage parents? I, I think it does a number of ways let me say this and this is not what you're asking but I'll, I'll start here many parents have two strikes against the teacher before they even walk into the door not all but many and when you're able to accept the child the whole entire child I do believe it puts the parents at ease a little bit and because we're getting like no matter how great of a teacher we all are we are constantly being compared to the weakest educator. And the weakest educator probably struggled culturally. So it just gives the parents like a, a not a nod that it's going to be okay, but a nod that it's going to be okay. And um, as, a, as, a, as you're a parent, I'm a parent, you just want the best for your child, right, at all times, whether it's academically, socially, athletic-wise, financially, you name it, you want the best for your child. And uh, creating like a culturally culturally relevant environment and seeing the kids explore and grow academically, no parent is going to disagree with that. 
And it's a safe environment. Sure. When, you, when you think about adding this, the knowledge and giving students more experiences into the diversity of our, of our country and our world, you're, you're creating a safe environment where students can take a risk, they can learn better. I think there's many of the effective piece of education is definitely fostered. What about when you think about teachers, most teachers live outside the community they teach at. Not all, but most yet in our country. And so there's a disadvantage right there because they're not in the community. And I don't think it, you have to live in the community. I don't think um, there's a, a hard, fast rule that better teachers are in the community. But there is a fact that most teachers live outside the community they teach. Uh, and therefore, there is a disadvantage that maybe they don't know the rich diversity of the community that they teach in. So what can teachers do for that? Okay, so this is, a, this is a simple one, folks. It starts with the desire to learn. There are some things, Steve, in your home community that I will never get, but I do have the, the desire to learn it. I'm not judging you. I'm not saying this is great. I'm not saying this is terrible. I'm just saying I need to see this the way you see it. Um, you, it, it starts with a desire to learn. Either you have it or you don't. Uh, many teachers that I see, and it's really a split 50-50, especially with new teachers, because they're trying to figure out everything you said before. Lesson plan, the principal, the school environment, the parents. Now we're adding this other thing, and they struggle. But then the other half was like, I know I need this piece if I'm ever going to be successful at a high level. And so it takes a desire to, to learn, to walk a mile in someone else's shoes, to, to acknowledge your blind spots, um, to understand what triggers you, to understand what you do that triggers others. Knowing that we don't all learn and grow the same, that th there are probably many differences in the room. I applaud every teacher right off the bat. They just go to the gas station in the community. If there's a local diner, a place to eat. There's a mall, there's a local sports team. Uh, there's a local church, um, is, there, is there a local community hub? Not that you have to agree or disagree, but you have to be around it in order to, to teach it at the highest of high levels, which is, I think, the goal everyone listening would want. So I, I love those examples because if I get, if I get dinner in, the, in a school community, if I go shopping in that local community where the school is, I'm going to learn lots of things that are going on. I'm going to be really taking over what the students are seeing and part of every day. Therefore, when I'm back in the classroom, I'll be able to integrate that into the lessons. I'll be able to know what the students are going through. I'll be able to know and I can talk about the local restaurants. I can talk about the hairstyle. I can talk about uh, what they've seen and what they're uh, aware of every day, which will build the credibility of, of the teacher and also the effectiveness of that teacher. I like those examples that you listed. Right, and this and this doesn't matter. It, it, it doesn't matter of your race. And when I say that, I mean this goes on all sides of the coin. I had a class where most of the people weren't from the Milwaukee area, and the stuff they were talking about were just things I've never seen before. So I took it upon myself to. Uh, to go out to the community in which my students were from and learn their community. And then when we came back to class from the weekend, I was able to insert their cultural and community aspects into my personal lessons. And right then and there, it sent instant, it sent instant credibility onto my side. And like some of the feedback that I got from students, like, okay, well, he really does care. 
Because at the end of the day, that's all this really is. Like, the students want to feel that you care, or the parents want to feel that you care, the principal want to feel that you care, and this is like the easiest way of just like getting involved, uh, uh, seeing it from another vantage point, and just being active. And, and, and it, for me, it turned out great because uh, I had to adapt what I was doing to my clients in my room. And I think it, I think the starting point is to care. I think that's the really the starting point. And then I think what goes from there is just better, more effective teaching. And it's hands down, you're more effective if you can relate to your students uh, and they want to learn in your classroom and they want to please the teacher by, by their grades, their behavior. So I think that the caring is, is step one. And I, and I think that as we get into uh, the communities and learn from the communities, I think that opens up the whole idea of understanding one another more, which will help protect people. Also, this is the idea of harassment, right? Of something strange, something's weird because it's not familiar to you, but it really breaks down that aspect too. When it's not strange or weird, or I can't believe you eat that, dress like that, talk like that. It becomes breaking down okay, those so barriers. Okay, so I'll give you the one that happened to me two times last week. So this is like really personal, real life. Happened two times last week. I had a daishiki on. And the person says to me, what's the deal with your shirt? And you were in a professional school setting. Oh, yes. Well, yeah. Professional school setting. Hey, what's the deal with your shirt? So it was a little awkward. And I chose to take the high road for a number of reasons. But a little bit of awkwardness. And then I began to explain. I, I saw it as a teachable moment of, of the culture that I, that I come from. And so now the next time someone's with a daishiki, you're not walking up to them saying, hey, what's the deal with your shirt? Or why are you wearing that? Or just like dress code conversation. So um, it, it is important. And I, I will say this. It can't just be the differences. It also has to bridge over to similarities. Because we have so many similarities, and there are some differences, and that's just the way life goes. But we have, we generally have more in common than than not. So um, I think it's a powerful thing to say, "Oh, you do that in your family? Well, we do that too, but we do it a little bit different. It's kind of the same stuff." And a lot of times, this this training and this work gets shifted to a negative tone: differences, 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 deficit, deficit, deficit. No growth, no growth, no growth. And that's where we get in trouble. So yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. And I think what you're talking about, the, the issue with that is too, when you're talking about differences in clothing and language, just basic uh, cultural differences, the burden can't always be on the people of color. And that's really what I think what the diversity training helps people be aware of. It can't be the burden always on the people of color to explain a way to always have to adjust. And I think that's where the diversity training adds But you know what that gets tricky, layer. Steve? You know what that gets tricky? Sometimes, and I'm being the person of color here, and I hate to speak for everybody, but sometimes it just doesn't get told if we're not the one doing it. It's business as normal, right? So at times, so at times I do feel that pressure. Like if I don't say nothing, yep. no one else will. Like I know you will, but I'm just saying just in general, you do run this line of, well, if like, but why are you only doing something if I say it? But then if I don't say it, no yeah. one does anything. Yeah. It's like a weird, it's like a weird space to, it's and that, a weird space to be in. And that's what I'm saying. You shouldn't have to be in that spot all the time. Uh, but it is reality. 
but the burden always it's a burden then for you that others don't have and that's what we that's where i think the diversity training will help people because what it does in a diversity training you get more awareness so when someone does have different dress different language different styles and those aren't the comments that come out of your mouth. Well, why don't you say this? Like somehow we got to find this. <laughs> somehow we got to find a way to insert this on every show. Here's the reason why it, it's important. Because you you always state this. When there's a black person, you you can finish the sentence from there. You don't need to all like how how do how do you say that? If there's an issue with a minority base, you always ask, well, who's a representative for the white people? For the black, say it. You can say it yeah, better than I can. Yeah, correct. I, I love yeah. the way you say that. Yeah, we have to reject the idea that uh, we have an issue with a black student. We got to find a black teacher, right? Or we have a um, an issue with a white student. We have to go to the white teacher. We all have to raise our level of of awareness and and culturally uh, be humble enough that we all have to get to that higher level of understanding so we can address all students. Cause think about that. Or I have a Jewish student. I, I got to make sure I find a Jewish teacher. Oh, there's not one here at the school. Now what do I do? Right. That student can't, can't be taught effectively. And that makes no sense. But I think that's what's, that's where people's getting confused when we talk about diversity training. They're, they're going down that, that path, and I think we have to be able to reject that. All right, I got, I got a couple more things I want to add to the to the conversation. One, can we please get past doing panels? Like, I think I'm at to the point where I'm paneled out, and it's a great start, but it can't end there. What do you mean with panels? So, a panel I'm discussion in, of I'm going to bring in you, who's worked in urban Milwaukee. I'm going to bring in a leading Latino person from the South Side, and I'm going to bring in a black person from Milwaukee. Like, those panels are great, but we need action, too. Oh, so you're saying every uh, there's so much talking about the issues, there's so but much, we're not, it's right, not going into the classroom. Right, right. There's so much talk, and but there's some heavy lifting that needs to be done, too. And just panels just seem to be lately in 2020... Like the go-to, there's a panel for this, there's a panel for that, there's a panel for this, there's a panel for that. And you end up in the same boat as almost not doing nothing. Like it's, an, it's a great awareness tool, but my fear mm -hmm. in this cultural work is we get stuck in awareness. Like at some point, there's an action. At some point, there's a reflection if, if the action is working or not. And at some point, we either regroup or we claim success. But just being stuck at awareness is, to me, crappy. Like, like there's a whole lot of people in denial, and that's a whole different conversation. But there's a whole lot of places that we had this panel, check off the box. Then we brought Eugene and Steve in, check off the box. So you're saying it's, it's, it's safe. So we have this panel, it's safe. Uh, everybody's happy. Check off the box. We did something. We did diversity. And now offer back because we did the panel and it's safe. I would agree with that. I, I, I don't necessarily think panels are bad if, if that's the first step. But I agree. I, I like what you're saying because there's really no no action step into impact. Like what what is the difference of before the panel and after the panel at the school? What What's the difference? Because what, what happens is this. This is what typically happens. If you have a good presenter, and this is no knock against anybody, because I'm sure you've been in this boat and I've been in this boat before. We'll go get the people fired up. And then what happens? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I remember Steve and Eugene. Yeah, they were awesome. And then, then, then they're going to invite you back to literally speak about the same thing again 
next year or to be on the same exact panel again next year. So my plea to the listeners is if you're going that route of panels, tie some action to it. That's all I'm saying. Just just a little bit of action to it. So when we talk about diversity training, what what are some things that should be as as schools are listening to this podcast and administrators and teachers and they go we buy into what you're saying what should we do for diversity training what should be some key points that we want to make sure or some some pieces that we need to have part of our diversity training well i would i would start off with an assessment of like where you are in this area um are you looking to change are you looking to maybe influence policy are you trying to make it a better setting for the people that are in this place? Are you trying to recruit and get people to this place? Like you got to figure out like which, which, which route are you going? Um, I would start, I would start there. Um, I, the desire is all we talked about there earlier in the show. The desire is there. And then who are the movers, who are the movers and shakers in this area already on my campus, on my school, on my job? Who are the leaders in this area? that we could tap into. Uh, one of the things I find humorous is people want this work, but they don't want to pay people to deliver the PD on it. So is there a budget? Um, is this really a priority in your, is this a, is this a priority in your workplace? Is there a system to support and protect the people who, who value this work versus the people that don't value the work? I mean, that has to be in place. And I think, in all honestly, you have to have some tangible goal that you're trying to gain. Like I know many schools, like in like in in K twelve, in the non public places, they are looking to get more teachers of color. Like that that's a that's an obtainable goal. But then the question they have to ask themselves is: Is their school a spot that can handle getting more people of color? We want people of color, but can we even facilitate that? Can we even support them? Yeah, it makes no sense to say we want we want more teachers of color and we're not going to change anything else. We just want them to come to our our school. Uh, it, it won't work. And what we're seeing is that more and more people uh, want teachers of color because we see the, the benefits of that and the low numbers and they realize that this is good for students to increase that number, but then nothing else changes at the school. And therefore, I like when you're talking about uh, priorities goals those all need to be part of the plan not just say well we've did diversity uh training because we read this article or this book together and we checked the box and we're done with diversity till next next time i i think the goals priorities that really resonates with me when you said that and, and do we even know where we are like I, i'm presenting next week and i'm gonna ask the, the the organization what are your cultural wins up to this point You'd be surprised how many people can't answer that question. What are the wins? They could definitely tell you the losses, but what are the wins? Like, if you have one win or ten, like, do you even know where you're leading at so you're not doing double the work? Um, and if you're not leading in anything, this is a great start, but but do you even know where you are in your own organization That from a data standpoint? Uh, when I go into schools, one of the questions I ask, how many students of color? How many faculty of color? Um, what has worked for your school in the past? What has not worked? Um, who are your allies? Um, what's the environment like in the building? Um, how do the, you know, what's going on with the parents? Are learning goals being met? Do you have learning gaps? Like all those things kind of drive how I present. 
And that to me, those are all things someone should be should be considering. And when you talked about movers and shakers, I contend too that there's movers and shakers at the schools right now that have this strong desire to get better in this area or are really good in this area, but have been quieter. And now they see this as an opportunity to really expand their influence. So I, I think with the movers and shakers, identifying those are very important in the school. And those don't have to be teachers of color. Those are what we identify movers as and movers and shakers. And they're the ones that want to see this happen because they know the benefit to the school community. I want to I want to throw in two things. Um, and, and I just have to say this and pause to say this because if not, you've said it already, but I'm going to say it too. If not, people will take it the wrong way. By no means are we saying that if you are not of the color of what you're teaching, you can't be great. That's false. There are so many, many, many examples of great teachers that are a different color of what they teach. So we're not throwing that out there. We're just saying it may open the door, but the others still got to maintain it. But like... Um, great teaching is great teaching. Yeah, great teaching is great yep. teaching, whether it's public, private, urban, or suburban. Great, great teaching is great teaching. But I want to ask this question to you, Steve. I'm throwing you a curveball here. In the in this work, is it more valuable to have local experts lead this, or do you go after out of state or national leaders? Well, what I would do is always try to get Eugene Pitchford the third, if I could. That would be the goal. Uh, your question that that depends i've seen it i've seen local leaders do an outstanding job and then i've seen it be a huge obstacle where they need someone from the outside because it's too heated of an issue inside um there's been too many uh there's too much of a history there's too many bad decisions that were made so they definitely need someone from the outside and someone not close to it at all regionally so I've seen both, and then I've seen, I've really seen it where it's the local people can lead it, and they're there, and they're doing some great work uh, because they're familiar with the situation. So I think that, um, I'm not really giving you a definite answer on no, the question there, but uh, Gee, thanks. I, I think that's a, that's a tough one to, my only definite answer would be uh, definitely uh, get Eugene uh, connected. But I think that's one that that they have to think about because I don't think internally a lot of times this issue is so heated and and is a issue that has a lot of resistance that you do need some outside assistance and help at least navigating through some of this. All right, so we hope you enjoyed our show. Uh, we definitely appreciate you listening. Uh, most definitely check out our book Superhero Educator on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Also. Tell your family, friends, and other educators. Our podcast is on Apple and Spotify. Dr. Gurner, Urban Education Ministries. Yes, look at the Center for Urban Education Ministries and look at the website and look at LinkedIn and see some of the resources and research that they're doing. Great organization. Leading the organization as executive director, I'd like to uh, share some of the great things that are happening with the Center for Urban Education Ministries. Wait, 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 wait. Can't let you off that easy. Uh, you, did a, you did a trip last week. Just tell the people kind of what that, don't give them all the details. We want everybody to copy it like that. But just give a summary of what the event that you went to where you took kids last week. Oh, sure. So uh, did Immersion Insights. And you'll see some of the, uh, you can also see some of the pictures uh, on LinkedIn and, and the website too. Immersion insights to a urban school where we learned about uh, senior academics of what the teachers are doing, the high performing teachers and some of the behavior 
uh, what I'd call outstanding behaviors of the school and how they intentionally worked on that with students. So definitely uh, get connected to the center and you'll find more information for Immersion Insights. On that note, we are out. We appreciate you listening. Make sure you tell another person. This is Eugene and Steve. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to our Superhero Education Podcast. We hope you gained valuable insights and key concepts to battle the chaos and save the day for all students. Boldly transform lives and be a superhero educator.